Welcome to the Teaching Journeys podcast with Dave Roberts. A unique skill all humans have is the ability to share information across generations. And the Teaching Journeys podcast does just that. It creates learning opportunities with each amazing guest with a goal that each episode makes a positive impact on people worldwide. Before we hear from today's guest, please share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. And don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roberts, and today it is my absolute pleasure to have as my guest, April Hanna. I am going to read April's bio, and her bio does not do her justice with all the stuff that she has accomplished um, in her life, but I'm going to give it a go anyway. April Hanna, the founder and visionary behind Hanna's Healing Wellness Studio, is a multifaceted individual with a rich tapestry of accomplishments. Not only is she the co-founder of Path 11 Productions, a renowned media production company, but she has also embarked on her latest venture, expanding her wellness studio into a tranquil haven for sound healing nestled in the serene landscapes of upstate New York. With a distinguished background as a licensed mental health therapist spanning an impressive two decades, her journey is one of dedicated service to others. She offers a unique blend of spiritual coaching, holistic healing methods, and profound exploration of consciousness. She is also a seasoned Reiki master teacher who has expertly mentored and enlightened more than 200 students while facilitating an astounding 12,000 Reiki sessions since 2005. She is equally adept in the realm of podcasts where she shines as a captivating host on the Path 11 podcast. Her creative genius is most evident in the three thought-provoking documentaries she has masterfully produced, each delving into a prof the profound themes of consciousness and the enigma of life after death. These projects bear witness to her, un her unwavering passion for unraveling the intricacies of human experience and the ceaseless quest to unearth answers about the mysteries that await us beyond this life. And with that, April, I have to take a deep breath. Um, Thank you. Thank you, Dave. Thank you for that beautiful introduction. And it's I'm so glad to be here with you and so glad that you have your own podcast now. And it just feels great to be on the other side of podcasting. So I'm really looking forward to our talk today. Me too. And, you know, it's kind of cool when I interview other podcasters because one is there just as particular about sound and about echo. And as I have learned to become since I've had my own podcast, so it makes the editing process on my end quite seamless. I can speak to April's adaptability in dealing with podcasts and documentaries. Uh, I've been on her podcast a couple of times uh, over the over the years, uh, talking about my own journey and uh, specifically um, about the book that I co-authored with Reverend Patty Farino, when the psychology professor met the minister. And um, I, I had the privilege of being interviewed for an upcoming documentary on after-death communication. That was a blast. We did that right out of my own house, and it was quite the experience. So um, I'm just so thankful to have you here today. Um, yes, thank you. And we could have talked about a variety of different topics, but I really want to focus on your recent involvement in an upcoming book project, um, The Grief Experience, which I believe is being released next month on February 4th. Am I correct? 
Yes, that is what we are aiming for. Um, it's going to be released February 4th. I believe it's going to be coming out on Amazon, uh, you know, like through a Kindle digital download first, I believe. And then we'll be getting the books and people can pre-order them now if they would like. And uh, we'll be shipping them out to people. I am. I have like a certain um, link on my website that people can get a signed copy. So I can actually write them a little message and then ship the book off you know, to myself. But people will be able to purchase it on Amazon as well. Perfect. Put me down for a signed copy. All right. I'll do that. But anyway, tell us about, I guess, the experiences or events that kind of drew you to become involved with the Grief Experience Project. Tell us a little bit about the book. Who's the lead author with it? Sure, sure. So the lead author is a good friend of mine and also a coworker who I've known for many, many years in the field of psychology, social work, and her name is Kelly Doherty. I know that she will also be a guest on your podcast as well. And actually, right after the pandemic, well, let me back up to 2019, because this is where it kind of all began. My mom pretty tragically passed away unexpectedly in October of 2019. And I'll get into that story a little bit because it intertwines with the chapter that I'm writing in the book. So she had passed away and then the pandemic had hit and I had to kind of close up shop and not see people in person anymore. And many therapists brought their businesses online through Zoom. So at that point, my lease to the uh, office that I had was coming to an end, which was kind of perfect timing for me. And then I basically did all of my therapy through the pandemic through Zoom. And then once things started to open up, I was without an office. And I had moved during the pandemic, fell in love, um, and moved about 45 minutes away from Saratoga Springs, New York, where my office was. Now, Kelly was expanding into new space and was looking for one more therapist to come and join her Suite 21 group. And they asked me, they're like, April, where are you going to put your office? Where are you going to bring your office? We have one spot left. You know, would you mind? Do you want to come down here? So I said, yeah, sure, absolutely. So I ended up spending almost about two years with Kelly in the same office, sharing office space with each other uh, as we were seeing clients. And I had watched her complete her first book. I think it was like Holistic Mental Health. And uh, she was really excited because she was doing a, a book and writing a chapter with all these other authors. And I had watched her and our other coworker, Sherry Davies, uh, do that book. And it looked like a lot of fun. I was like, wow, that's really cool. You know, you're an author now. And then she decided that she wanted to become a lead author. And, I said, and then she that I, there's really not a great grief book out there. Like there's many good grief books, but one that is very comprehensive, like the one that she put together. And she asked me if I wanted to be an author. And I was like, no, nah, I'm good. No, thanks. I've got so much to do. And she's like, but you should really talk about the art that you're doing and how it helped to heal your grief after your mom died. And I was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to write a chapter in a book. And she just kept on me and I was pushing back, pushing back. And finally I said, okay, I'm like, let me think about how we could do this and let me see how I can bring my podcast into this and like help the whole book. So we finally sat down. I finally said yes. And I'm so glad I said yes, because it has been just a very healing journey for me. And the events leading up to it, which inspired the chapter of my book. So I'm chapter 17, or I'm sorry, I'm chapter 16. And um, I talk about the healing power of art. So after my mom uh, passed away in October, 
Uh, it was just very shocking. You know, she, my mom really struggled with addiction issues and she was just not in a great place in her life. And unfortunately, the way that she passed wasn't the way that I would have expected or predicted. I thought she might die from alcoholism or maybe drug overdose or something like that. But she was crossing a street very late at night and got hit by a car. And so that trauma for me and shock and everything that I had to go through in dealing with the aftermath of all of that investigations and then trying to figure out my mom's life and pick up all of these pieces it was pretty heavy. You know, I'm an only child, so I don't have any siblings that were there to help. And my father lives in Arizona. And so it was just a pretty heavy burden on me. So that happened. And then I'm still carrying my client caseload. The pandemic happens. Now everybody is like grieving in shock. And I really put my grief on hold. I really wasn't leaning into the grief or dealing with the trauma of the grief. And it really began to manifest physically in my body. And about, I think, nine months after I was uh, woke up one day, was completely healthy one day, woke up the next day with really horrible pains in my body, um, in my abdomen, in my left breast. I couldn't breathe. I felt like I was having a heart attack. Um, and that led me on almost a year and a half journey of trying to figure out what was medically wrong with me and went through all of this testing. So I went from having just a primary care physician to having like 10 different doctors. I had every single organ of my body, uh, ultrasound, x-rayed, many vials of blood taken, and everything was pretty much coming back normal with the exception of some inflammation in my body, most likely due to stress, stress and the grief. Yeah. So I had uh, met another teacher and actually it was also a guest on my podcast and I ended up taking a couple of courses of his and I was still really struggling with a lot of the physical ailments. And he had said, you know, that's just an illusion. You know, there's nothing wrong with you and taught me about the 5D consciousness and all of this stuff. And, and he said, you know what, well, why don't you just put your pain in a painting and see what happens? And that's exactly what I did. I had nothing to lose. I was so desperate because I've been so healthy my whole entire life. And when you lose your physical health, you feel like you lose everything. And so I was desperate to try anything and everything. So I went into a meditation and was like paying attention to the pain and what did it look like? And if I was going to paint this or draw this, what was it? And I ended up painting a picture of these crying lungs and tears were coming from them. And within 24 to 48 hours afterwards, I no longer had trouble breathing. My pain started to subside. And then I started to go into each part of my body that had pain and continue to paint. And I really believe, is my experience, that being able to put the grief into another form took it out of my physical body and allowed my body to heal. So I was able to heal my grief and trauma of my mom's death through abstract painting. And so I go into more detail of my story in my chapter of how I did that. And then I decided to create a technique called uh, high frequency healing art. And I created a website for my art and created a technique to show people how to do it. And that's basically what my chapter is about. That is quite a multifaceted chapter. And one of the things that's, that strikes me very strongly is that if our grief is not 
expressed if there's no vehicle to express our grief. It's going to come out somewhere, and it's usually going to come out in, in, in physicality, physical pain, somatic complaints, and, and also just to the healing power of holistic therapies, integrative medicine, where you, you're doing things like meditation and visualization. You're visualizing that pain leaving your body, and you focus on that, and then you, you creatively express it. That could be more effective, I think, than just traditional medicine, just being being able to do that. Because there was no physical basis for what was going through. It was basically your emotional pain that was chan channeled into somatic complaints and somatic issues. Exactly. And and I'll tell you, you know, like with all the work that I have done within my private practice, within my holistic business, like all these documentaries that I made about grief and afterlife and consciousness, like I knew all of this stuff, but I went into an extreme fear state. I completely panicked. I felt like um, there has to be something medically wrong. Like I wanted to make sure like, okay, am I dying? Do I have cancer? What is going on, you know, with my body? And I stayed really in a state of fear. And once the tests kind of kept coming back, normal, 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 I had to really sit with myself, sit with my grief and say, April, what is it that you already know about consciousness? What do you know about the energy of the body? You, I knew on a deep level I was totally avoiding my grief and really not turning towards it and wanting to sit with it or be with it. And so once I kind of had a couple of clearances from a couple of doctors, I was like, return back to what you really know. And that is when I really started using more of the holistic techniques and measures. I did some EMDR work around it and, mm. you know, joined a grief group and really just got serious with um, taking a look at what was going on with the grief because I wanted my body to come back to normal. I mean, you know, all the things that I do, like I didn't have time to be sick. I said, I got people to serve. I've got businesses to run. You know, it's like, I, I need to figure this out and figure it out quickly. Well, you did. And the other thing, too, I can imagine just the cause of death in and of itself had to have been troubling because with sudden death, and you know this with other clients that you've worked with, one of the issues that surviving family members or friends have when somebody dies suddenly is they never had a chance to say goodbye, you know, and in particular, or if their last words were words that were said in anger to each other, there's a tremendous amount of guilt. Now, and obviously, I can't be in your shoes, but I, I could only imagine that maybe that, that a lot of some of that too, with the just the cause of death itself, had to be troubling and, and maybe compound some a lot of what was going on as well too. Oh, absolutely. You know, since I've been young and just working through my mom's addiction, I had grieved her many times in life. You know, not knowing if she was gonna lived through her heroin addiction, lived through her alcoholism. There were times when she was missing. I mean, you know, we had been through a lot together when, especially during those years where it was really unstable. So, but I always had this idea that somehow, some way I would be at her bedside when she died, or, you know, I would get the call to come to the hospital or whatever the case may be. But that year I started having visions and dreams of a police officer coming to my door and notifying me that my mom had died, you know, and that's exactly what had happened. And, but I never thought in a million years that that's how she would have passed. And unfortunately, due to the accident and the damage that was done to her body, it was not recommended for me to view her or to see her or try to do any type of 
reconstruction, um, you know, to be able to view, to view the body. So uh, that was really hard. And it's kind of one of the main points that I talk about in my chapter about that specific um, just trauma of not being able to have that one last, last look, that one last touch, that one last, you know, goodbye. And the other thing I know from, from family members who have, who have had a, f- a family member or friend die of a sudden death, there's this deep-seated desire and re- need to reconstruct what happened, whether it's, you know, taking a look at autopsy reports, talking to the first responder on the scene um, to see was, was, were there any last words that, that my mom had said, said, about, said to anybody, said about me, uh, was she in pain, Did, was she at peace? And these are things that are important for those individuals whose loved ones have died through a sudden death to be able to, to reconstruct the event. Even if they do it, not by themselves, but they take somebody who's supportive that's going to support that part of their journey. But it's something that, that needs to be done and, and is essential to individuals moving, you know, moving through grief from that type of loss. You're absolutely correct. I did all of the above. So. The first thing that I did, you know, for listeners maybe who don't know about this was I submitted a FOIL form, which is Freedom of Information Act, and was able to get the police report, the witnesses' accounts, the reconstruction of the scene. Um, I definitely ordered the autopsy report, you know, to understand what was going on, what was actually in her system. And believe it or not, it was a really high level of alcohol and um, prescription medica- medication that she was prescribed for her anxiety and PTSD. Um, you know, so like getting those answers were very helpful, but then I sought out the help of very talented psychic mediums. Um, and then I also did, which, you know, um, doing this, well, my therapist said this was not a great idea because I kind of re-traumatized myself in some ways in yearning and searching to understand what happened that night. I did use some of my own psychic intuitive skills and my remote viewing skills to go out of my body and view the scene, you know, and go back into time to be able to see what had happened. And I was able to do that before I actually got the police report. And so what was interesting was a lot of what I did with moving my consciousness back into the past, um, I did see a lot of what was actually in the police report that uh, I hadn't had at the time when I was going into meditation. I would not recommend if you have the ability to do that, to do that, because it was almost as if I was there. And, you know, if I know getting into remote viewing is a whole nother type of a podcast for us, but it is basically, you know, being able to, with your intent to take your consciousness and be able to, you know, move it through different reality frames and, you know, past, present, future, and to be able to do that. So, but I was curious. It was part of my journey. And I, you know, I wouldn't change it per se, but it, if I was sitting with somebody that had these abilities and skills and wanted to do that, I would probably, you know, really educate them about on the type of trauma that that could also continue to, you know, compound with the trauma that you already have in an event like this. Well, what you did, first thing that when you mentioned remote viewing, the first thing that came into my head was astral projection. Individuals with, who are very intuitive have, you know, very strong meditative powers, can actually just leave their body and just travel to another dimension, connect with their spirit guides, and then come back 
and then use those teachings to, to make for a better planet. What you also described sounds similar to what I've read about accounts in the afterlife for individuals who've had near-death experiences where they've left their body and there's been a review not only of their current life so that they can see the paths that they took, but also their past, past lifetimes. And, and time kind of stops. Thanks for sharing that because that's um, a pretty fascinating piece to add to, to your, your own grief journey. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, blessing or curse, I'm not sure. But, you know, with the past 11 productions, you know, that I was doing since 2008, I've, it was almost like everything that I've researched for Path 11 Productions on the afterlife, out of body, astral travel, remote viewing, consciousness, um, you know, those life reviews, everything just kind of really came to a head when my mom, you know, made her transition, I would say. Um, so, yeah, it was, uh, you know, quite, quite an interesting part of the journey. And just I think all of that research of my documentaries and being on the podcast really helped me for that moment to realize that we are so much more than our physical bodies, you know, that we really don't die. We just transition. You know, sometimes death is the easiest word to use or mm -hmm. passed away or died or whatever the case may be. But really, I mean, I, I know that my mom's consciousness still lives on. I still interact with her. She's still communicating with me. Um, you know, even though she's not in this physical reality in that physical body, you know, that she took on. So yeah, all, all of that really helped me, I think, to move through the grief journey much differently if I didn't have a lot of that background study and investigation into the afterlife. And that bond that you share with, with her is pure. Um, it's absent from all of the, the contracts that made the human experience challenging. Um, and that's, I think, transforming our relationships with those individuals who have transitioned is one of the biggest keys to moving through grief. Where we realize that hey, we don't, we don't, we don't die. We just transition to a new existence, and we can we can connect with our loved one's consciousness whenever we want, um, as long as we're open to it and we we believe in those possibilities. Absolutely, like all of the tough stuff of the dynamics of the addiction and our relationship, and how like I'd be more of the mother and she was the kid. Like all of that really healed once she made that transition and you know we were able to literally talk about things you know in my meditation and and heal and grow with each other and the relationship that I have with my mom now is really beautiful I mean it was like there I had many many moments with my mom that were very beautiful growing up and then really hard times too but it's like as she made that transition and our relationship now is much sweeter supportive, you know, she can support me in a totally different way than she could when she was earthbound and really just kind of struggling with, with her stuff. Like you were saying, all of those contracts, it's so much smoother now. Well, one of the things is that I think your account of your relationship with your mother can serve a lot to demystify the stigmas around addiction. And, and I, as you know, with my background, I was in addictions counselor for 27 years and a clinical supervisor in an addiction setting. And the individuals that I worked with, their addictions were what they did. It was what had they danced with, but it did not, it did not describe their gifts as a person. Their gifts were separate from the behavior. And if we can understand that we're treating the behavior and not at the expense of the self-esteem of the individual, we're going to come a long way because addicts are what they're what they do. They're not who they are. 
And I, I would imagine your mom had some beautiful gifts. Um, she was probably very, went, went sober, probably very loving. She was very caring. I also assume, knowing your, her daughter as I, know, as I know her daughter, that she was also very bright, very passionate about what she believed in. She just danced with addiction, and she just couldn't, she could not put that dance aside. But it does not make her a bad person. It's exactly. just, and we should, we should not judge the, the value of somebody's life by a specific action or actions. It's what did they bring to the table in general. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's really surprising that my mom was able to just endure all that she endured. I had a lot of compassion for her, more compassion after she transitioned because I didn't need to be so much in fight or flight, you know, with her. But she had a lot of trauma ever since the age of like two or three, you know, when her father unexpectedly, my grandfather passed away from a heart attack. You know, she was left with a mom that was a single mom of three kids working three jobs. You know, um, my mom had sexual trauma, you know, domestic violence in her life. I mean, many, many things that contributed to making her soul feel very uncomfortable in her physical body. And I understand with the level of trauma that my mom had that the self-medication with the addiction probably allowed her to be on earth for as long as she was, you know, in some ways, because it just numbed her out, you know, and so she could kind of like half be here and not half be here. And, you know, so I have compassion in knowing that it was really hard for her to live here on earth and to be sober. You know, I'm happy she found found about 10 years straight of sobriety during my 30s, which was wonderful. You know, it was really great and, you know, kind of shocking. She died when she was um, 64 to think that I thought that she had kicked it, you know, kicked it all. And then it slowly crept back in. And I knew, you know, once she kind of turned back more towards alcohol, it wasn't the hard drugs, um, not that I know of, but it was more of the alcohol. Um that I was like, all right, there's no coming back from this at this age. I just didn't feel like she had the resources or the will to really be able to fight that. But you're right. And I think anybody that loves someone that has an addiction, that is the biggest challenge for us. It's like we can see their sweetness, their soul, um, just the good person that they are. And that addiction, you know, to me is like a, a real energetic entity that, uh, you know, the addict can kind of grapple with. It's It's a true energy that just turns them into or has that ability to influence them and take them out of that sweetness of their soul. Well, the other fact of the fact that you mentioned is that she had 10 years of sobriety, you know, which is the other part of that. And that tends to get overlooked because right. individuals who have danced with addiction, there are many of them have had periods of long-term sobriety where they have been able to engage in 12-step programs. They've been able to engage in a life of service and, and purpose and help other individuals who are struggling with addiction. That tends to get overlooked. And that's, that's why, for me, it's evaluate the totality of, of, some, of a person's life and don't judge them by just one specific aspect. Take a look at everything. Exactly. Yeah. And I think, I think the turning point for my mom of her coming out of that sobriety, she went back and, she, like you said, she was a very intelligent woman. Um, you know, had her bachelor's degree in psychology. She went back and got her case act to work with people of substance abuse um, and addiction. And then her sister died, my aunt, and then her lifelong partner 
had passed away within a short period of time of each other. And I think that that just really broke her, you know, mm. and was really tough for her to rebound from. And those type of really intense stressors are relapse triggers for, for many individuals with alcohol use issues or substance use issues as well, too. So your mother sounds like a, just, just, oh, just a, a great individual. And I'm glad you are, you're sharing that pure spiritual bond with her. Um, as she dances in another dimension. Yes. Yes. Thank you. You're welcome. So back to the book for a second, you mm -hmm. could have probably told your story in any book project. I'm sure that any, any author would have wanted to say, yeah, be a part of my book. But what drew you specifically to Kelly's book project? Besides the collegialship and the friendship, was there anything else that said, yeah, yeah, I really need to be a part of this? Um, I don't, I'm not sure. Cause really I was pushing back. I was like, I don't want to do it. I don't want to be part of it, but I really trust Kelly and, um, I respect her a lot as a colleague, as a mentor. Um, and you know, once I started seeing how she wanted to structure this book and the people that she wanted to put in it, I knew that I was going to be with a lot of credibility and that she was going to select the right people to write, that she was going to make sure that this book wasn't just any book. And OK, we're just going to you know, have all these different chapters on grief, but that she was going to get people who were grief informed, you know, uh, good clinicians. I think a majority, not all of the authors have some sort of license in mental health, um, but it's just it's a great group. So that got me really excited to see the people who we're doing that. And it's really hard not to support Kelly's passion with grief. But she's just so excited about, you know, helping the world. And and I really wanted to support her. And I knew that she needed 25 authors. And she was like, I think at one point, like still needed five more or something like that. I'm like, all right, fine. You know, count me in. And I think when I really sat back, uh, I really I always wanted to write a book. I mean, every psychic that I've ever gone to since I've been young says you're going to write a book someday. And so this was kind of a really cool way when you are doing a collaborative book like this to kind of get your feet wet. I mean, once I started writing this chapter, we had about 3000 words. This was in my grief experience in this whole I, like it's a huge story. And to narrow down what I went through in 3000 words, so much was cut out. And I think what that made me realize was, oh, yeah, I think I have a bigger book inside of me. You know, and so I feel like going through this process was a great learning experience to understand, like, what do authors go through? What is it like? Do I really want to write my own book someday? And this would give me a little more education on what that process was like. And, you know, all right, a chapter, I could commit a chapter. And then if this was too hard or if I didn't like it, then I know if I'd want to do this in the future. So I think there were uh, those are some of the other reasons, you know, as well. and. I haven't really come across, even with my journey, anything about art and grief. I'm sure that there's stuff out there, but I think the technique that I kind of learned and refined and made for myself really is a very positive thing to share with people. And some people can mm -hmm. greatly, you know, learn from that. So I always feel like we should never 
kind of keep our gifts inside of us. You know, it's like wherever, whenever we can have a platform and share them, we should. And this was a great example to be able to share, you know, this experience of what I went through. So I then went on to start teaching our classes. Like I have no history in art. I didn't go to school for art. I mean, I always took some classes here in college and high school, but it was really beautiful to be, to see the art that was inside of me come out. And and that is what I have seen when I teach these paint and meditate classes. Uh, people forget that they have artists within them. And so it's been really beautiful to take this and share it with people and then see them find their inner artist and use that with their emotions, with their trauma, with their grief. So it was a great opportunity for me to be able to apply this, I think. Yeah, and I think our writing, blogging, uh, collage work, all of those creative outlets can really be therapeutic as we are trying to to travel the very un, un, uneven and uncertain road that is grief. Um, what do you hope the readers are going to take away from reading not only your chapter in the book, but every all the other 24 contributors? What do you want those readers to take away from reading well, the grief experience? Yeah, I think the biggest thing is the tools. You know, I mean, stories heal, right? I mean, they have always healed from generations to gener generations. We heal through hearing other people's stories. But the other thing that I love, too, about Kelly, and she's always wanting to give people some sort of tool that they can use afterwards. And I think any good therapist, you know, wants to share those tools so no client ever becomes dependent on the therapy session in itself. So I, I am really excited that this book has so many interesting stories of so many different types of grief. I don't think that any chapter is uh, replicated. You know, it's like each chapter is a different type of grief or grief journey, which is great. And then everybody has a different tool that they're offering. So I see this book also as a reference book for other therapists, clinicians, anybody that works in the grief field. Um, I see this as a book for people to give friends or family, like sometimes you don't know what to do or what to say, or what could you give a person who is grieving? And I think that this is going to be a great gift that you can hand somebody during their journey and say, whenever you feel it's time, this book may you know, be very helpful for you. And um, it's just fascinating to see how different types of death and experiences can impact everyone, you know? So I feel like no matter what type of grief you're experiencing or what your story is, you'll be able to find a chapter in this book that you'll be able to relate to. And the other use for it, I think, if you haven't experienced the death of a loved one yet, and you're trying to understand somebody else's grief journey, reading these chapters will maybe help you have a little bit of an idea what a friend or another relative or coworker might be going through. So it's a great book to also become more grief informed because, you know, all of the authors made sure that the right language is used when we're writing this. Um, these tools are effective. All of these tools that I think each, each author uh, gives, they have done themselves. So it's kind of like we've, we've walked the walk, we've walked the path before you. We know that these tools work. And if you want them to work for you, like, here's the book, here's how to do it. It sounds like the grief experience is going to have something for everybody. I like the fact that you cover a variety of different losses, causes of death, because each one of those, as we talked about earlier, has its own unique challenges that clinicians need to be aware of. My last question for you, 
and this is going to give you an opportunity to promote yourself a little bit. Um, if people want to contact you about your services, uh, what you have going on, what events or projects you have going on currently, what's the best way for them to do that? Sure. So uh, with my, I have a wellness studio called Hannah's Healing Wellness Studio, and we're located near Saratoga Springs, uh, New York. Sorry, I got the light shining right through my window for your video here right now. So not the best for podcasting videos here, right? So, um, but we have uh, hannahshealing.com. So that is my website. I do do one-on-one -on -one spiritual coaching. Uh, but now with the other projects I have going on, I really don't know how much longer I'm going to be doing. I kind of moved out of the clinical field, so I'm not taking insurance anymore. Um, you know, I'm not really doing clinical work. I'm doing more spiritual coaching. Uh, but now that I've gotten so busy, this might be the last year that I do that too. I don't know what 2024 will bring, but we have handishealing.com for that. We um, put on retreats. I have expanded my business into sound healing now. So we have four different uh, quarterly retreats that we're doing with sound healing, energy work, and um, more ritual work that I know you love too. Mm -hmm. And then if people are interested in the documentaries that I've made and the podcast, that's path11productions.com. The podcast, we have interviewed most of the authors as well on this book um, among some of the most you know, well-known visionaries and researchers of consciousness, and that's called Path 11 Podcast. And then um, we are working on actually entering the editing room this month for our next documentary, which is going to be all about after-death communication. And we interviewed you and your experience with the communication that you've had with your daughter. Um, and we have just like a hit list of people for this documentary, including you, which is going to be really amazing and outstanding. Um, I had the chance to interview Wayne Dyer's children who shared some really beautiful stories about Wayne communicating with them in the afterlife. Um, you know, we have a lot of stories of other parents who have lost children. And I really think it's going to be a documentary that just gives people a lot of hope. And um, so that is the project that I'm really excited about. Um, our films are on Gaia. A lot of people are familiar with Gaia. So if you have a subscription, you can download them for free or you can purchase them for $4.99. They're digital downloads on our website at path11productions.com. Do you remember when I came to your house and we were talking about The Raven and we mm -hmm. stepped out to film some B-roll and we had this amazing experience of three ravens just flying like at you over us and it was just so magical. Do you remember that moment? Oh, I, I will never forget that moment. We were out on the porch. We had just gotten done recording the, the interview. And we had talked about, obviously, the role of crow medicine as far as helping me transform grief and work through grief and, and transform the relationship with my transition daughter, Janine. And you, me, and Mike were standing out, standing on the front porch, and I heard these three crows just cawing and flying overhead as if on cue. And I think I looked at you, and I said, you can't make this stuff up because we had just talked about it, and it was validation validation of the role of that beautiful bird and intelligent bird in my life. And that was just one of the, the more magical moments that I can ever recall being a part of in anything that I've, anybody that I've ever interviewed or any, any podcast that I've ever been interviewed on. So it was great. And I was going to ask you if you were going to keep that in there. So 
I hope so. I want to find a way to be able to fit that in. If not, it might have to be like an outtake role for people to see. And, you know, maybe you and I can tell more of the story as it happened. Uh Um, And the uncut, you know, the uncut version. The uncut version, yeah. And our reactions in the four thirds. And I was like, oh my God. I'm like, it's not only one, but it's three. You know, there were three of them and they were clawing and they just circled around us and then they flew past us. And it was just so magical because we were in such a flow state that whole day. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were with you for like four or five hours. So, you know, for your listeners, it's like when you sit down and talk with Dave, it's like you go into some sort of vortex portal. It's just, really cool. It automatically becomes like this energy medicine. And, you know, we just sat and we talked and we reminisced and, you know, felt the spirit of your daughter. And then we just go out and then there nature was, you know, his crow medicine was there just, oh, it was so beautiful and so magical. I'll never forget that either. So. Yeah. Neither, like I said, neither will I. That's something that I I could still picture that scene now. And we Me did too. this like over two years ago. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to spend with us. Um, and we got to do this again in the future. Yeah, let's do it. We have lots of fun things to talk about. So I would love to come back on and just want to thank you and your listeners for embracing me and my story. And, um, you know, I'm just so happy that you're doing this now. And because... We need more podcasts to talk about subjects like this. So thank you and thanks to your listeners. And with that, that is a wrap on another episode of the Teaching Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Dave Roberts, wishing you peace. Thank you for listening to this episode. And please remember to share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues. And don't forget to leave a rating, review, or both.